It's no surprise that updating the electricity grid today will make for a better tomorrow. Increased self-sufficiency is just one of the benefits. The Great Grid upgrade will also boost the economy and create new green jobs. And best of all, you can continue doing the things you love, like watching the latest epic nature documentary or listening to this podcast while caring for the planet too. Find out more at nationalgrid.com. It takes a lot of hard work to make it look easy. This Mother's Day, Duluth Trading Co. can help you give her something that keeps up. Whether you prefer to shop online or in-store, Duluth has a motherload of gear, goods, and gifts to keep her comfortable and capable, no matter what needs doing. With Duluth's problem-solving details and legendary durability to boot, you'll finally be mom's favorite again. Check out DuluthTrading.com for all your Mother's Day gifting needs. Hello and welcome to the June podcast by the Country Farm magazine team. I'm Fergus, the editor of the magazine, and with me from the team today are production editor Dave. Hello. And editorial assistant Heather. Hi. We're also very lucky to be joined by the man who keeps one of our favourite TV shows ticking over, Springwatch presenter Martin Hughes-Games. Hi. Pleasure to be here. Oh, it's great to have you, Martin. Great to have you. Um, coming up, we'll be discussing the latest countryside news stories and our highlights from the latest issue of the Country Farm magazine, which is June. But first, let's turn to our special guest, Martin. So, Martin, where in the world is Springwatch going to be this year? Well, for financial reasons, shh, don't tell anyone, <laughs> we have to go back. Well, I'm glad to be going back to Ennis here. Um, it costs a fortune to actually wire the place and get it, um, get it sort of ready for, for, to do live transmissions from. Um, so we would always go back to the same place at least twice. But that's no problem with Ennis because we only just s- scrape the surface, I think, of the natural history that's there. It's absolutely beautiful place to be. So Ennis is, um, well, is that the edge of Snowdonia? Is that right? How would you describe this? It's this on place? it's on the Duffy Estuary, and I got severely ticked off recently by saying that it was in North Wales. It's not; it's in Mid Wales, apparently. Okay, that that sort of mythical region that yes. uh, exists for, for for the well between sort of the Brecon Beacons and Snowdonia, I yes. suppose. Um, and and what's it like there? It's spectacularly beautiful. It genuinely is. Um, it's you, You've got the estuary itself, so you've got sea on the one side and lots of dune systems. And then you've got sort of mini mountains stretching away. And we have converted um, a tractor shed. And it genuinely is a tractor shed, because when I went back there, there was a tractor in it. <laughs> but we've converted a tractor shed into the studio, and it couldn't be in a more beautiful location. Excellent. Well, uh, and so last year was the first year you went to. Went, in fact, it was the first Welsh location for Springwatch as as its HQ. Um, and I, I mean, are there particular species that drove you there, or is it purely the beauty of the landscape? Um, I think it was richness. Uh, it was different species as well because we've been at Pensthorpe for well, we're there for three years. I think yeah, that's, that's the Norfolk one. It's the Norfolk yeah. one, yeah. And so we thought it was a. You can imagine, you know, people going around doing recce's all around the country. Winston Churchill, time spent in reconnaissance is seldom wasted. God, he's so right. But um, so it was very difficult to find somewhere that we thought would offer us... Um, you want two things, really. You, you need the common things, your blue tits and the things that everyone's familiar with. And they often provide the greatest drama 
Um, even though they're quite familiar animals, and it's lovely to see them because it's what people see in their back gardens, you also need some quite exotic ones. And we had the Osprey Project up there. And um, I've just heard that we've got cameras on a nuthatch nest as well, which you haven't done before. So we've got some quite exotic things up there as well as some more common things. And we've got this fabulous beauty. I think people do like to tune in to lose themselves in a bit of glorious British countryside. Well, I mean, we're Country Farm magazine. We're tied to a programme that does exactly that too, the, 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 the bucolic escape um, as much as possible. And it's on sort of, it's on, on, you know, every night, so you can have these escapes at 8 o'clock on BBC Two, isn't it? Something like that. Yes, uh, you can. And I, and I also think that it is... There's a great... Um, appetite for live programmes now from the from the sort of controllers of, of the BBC and I would hesitate Fergus, I must be careful what I say here but some of them well, I you're think... You're here for your <laughs> candid... <laughs> well, some of them I think well, wait a minute, why are you live? You know, what, what, sometimes I think they just think, well if it's live it's going to be great but I think Springwatch genuinely does work because we've got the bird's nest and we we genuinely don't know what is going to happen in those nests day after day after day and so with the audience we can share those those dramas and they can be terrible there have been already some terrible tragedies this year but there have also there's moments of great joy as well so for that reason, because we have these ongoing stories day on day, we don't know what's going to happen. The audience don't. It's a really good live proposition. Well, that's a really interesting point, which uh, which could take us off at a bit of a tangent. But when you show things like barn owls devouring their own siblings or nature red in tooth and claw, something tearing something else apart, particularly when it's a, a cute little plover, a uh, little ring plover being eaten by a crow, well, do you get lots of complaints from people? I think there's definitely a section of the audience that, that finds that very challenging. But we've made a, a really definite effort to try to face up to some of the more um, difficult issues. We're, we're doing, Liz Bonin's doing two investigations. She's doing Our Dear Little Pussycats, which kill 55 million of our birds every year. Now, that's going to be contentious. She's also doing Gulls, and we love our wildlife, but my best friend's girlfriend cannot stand the gulls that that make a big din outside her house so liz is investigating gulls coming to our city we have to face up to that i think and we owe it to wildlife to do that i mean 80 to 85 percent of all the chicks that we're going to feature uh, of our garden birds are going to die and it's kind of important um that people do understand that when they see magpies coming to the garden and taking it, it's all part of a natural phenomenon. And we're doing the natural world a disservice, it seems to me, if we if we start pretending about what's going on in the natural world. You mentioned magpies there. That's a very, uh, I'm sure, as I'm sure you'll know, it's always a contentious issue with um, about predation and about predators. Have we got too many predators in the countryside? We get a lot of letters about this. The plague of buzzards, the... The, the terror of sparrowhawks, too many peregrine falcons eating racing pigeons we hear. Um, is, this, is this really an issue or is, is this something, are they being blamed for some other factor? I think they're being blamed. I, I think if you, sparrowhawks particularly, what a glorious thing it is to see in your garden. If you've got a sparrowhawk in your garden, you've got a top predator there. Now, of course, the thing is, they will come into your garden because there's food for them to feed. So there must be a really healthy population of small birds in your garden, probably in encouraged in there by, by feeding them. 
as soon as that population of birds, uh, uh, of the birds that we feed, starts to drop, it will not be worth the sparrowhawks while coming into your garden. So it's very much kept in check. The sparrowhawk is only there because there's a healthy population. Um, it will disappear if, if there isn't a healthy population. So it's a great sign. Buzzards are a really curious one. In the last 30 years, they've increased 503% happen to know that figure as that's, well. that's impressive it's incredible so how many pairs is that roughly i mean i know that oh, we never I used to see them east of say bristol we we didn't and, and i used to i remember well as a child we'd go down to devon on our holidays and there was one particular place and we'd start to see them there and it was like seeing an eagle well they're, they're called so the tourist eagle, aren't well, they tourist eagle yeah. yeah it was so exciting but they and uh, i have tried to find out from our friends at the bto what the reason might be for the buzzards they don't know. So nobody actually knows that yet. Um, but we, we've been very good. Uh, I mean, there's lots of negatives. Um, uh, we all know that. Starling numbers are falling. Sparrow numbers are falling. But goldfinches, they're up 144%. Um, nuthatches are up. Um, woodpeckers are up. And that is surely, and the BTO agree with this, because in the last 30 years, we have started to feed birds in our garden in a way that, when I was a child, we never even thought about it. So we are having a really, sometimes we can have a really positive effect on our British wildlife, as well as some of the negatives. It's funny you mentioned uh, woodpeckers there, because you wrote a piece for us um, about <laughs> this year's Spring Watch, which um, is uh, about, about the one woodpecker that isn't, isn't doing so well. Because oh, we'd asked you what, what you, your, you, it would be the most exciting thing for you to see at Innis here, and it turns out to be a, a, little, a little fella. A lesser spotted woodpecker. I'm, do you know, I still haven't seen one. Nor, I still nor me, not in this country. I still haven't seen one. Chris Packham, I went to stay with Chris um, last couple of weeks ago. He said he's going to show me one. Um, we're gonna, that's going to be, I think, one of my missions when we go up to Innes. Although, of course, there's leaf on the trees now, so it's more difficult to see them. I was cycling. I went on a long-distance cycle trip last week. And at one point on the Tarka Trail, which is absolutely glorious. Oh, down in Devon. Down in Devon. Devon yeah. Beautiful thing. I honestly thought I heard a lesser spotted woodpecker. I stopped. I got my phone out with my special bird app, and I called back to it. Silence. I still haven't seen oh, one. It's going to be incredible if and when that, that, that you it clap will. eyes on it. it. It's, a, yes. it's only the size I, of a sparrow, isn't it? Tiny. I can't. But it's a bonsai woodpecker. I would love to see one. And is there anything else that you're you're sort of hoping to see and, and and obviously the wider show is hoping to hoping to get hold of this year well we we had a steer from from janice the controller of bbc2 she said i don't want so many birds i've got to see more mammals <laughs> now of course now, there aren't that many mammals in Britain. well they're not that many mammals and of course there aren't convenient mammal nests that you can very carefully rig cameras on so but it's been very good that she said that. We have tried very, very hard. And we have. Um, I've been on a mission to try and find pine martins in Wales. They were declared functionally extinct, whatever that means, in 1994 in Wales. And since then, there have been these tantalising reports. People keep seeing things that sound a little sort of pine martin shape. So I'm trying to find pine martins. We've got an extraordinary film about rabbits, believe it or not. Now, mm -hmm. I don't know whether you've covered rabbits in the magazine. Yeah, well, they're sort of one of those creatures that you expect everyone to know about. And I guess, apart from Watership Down, maybe people don't know an awful lot about them. Well, they actually, it's a very complex, quite brutal uh, social um, network. You know, in the Warren, it's a really, but it's very, very hard that to see. Like, that is Watership Down. It's Watership Down. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, 
And it's very fascinating, very interesting. Well, it's taken three attempts to try to film what's going on. And, and Chris Packham's seen it. He said it's absolutely fascinating. So it's great to see turn the familiar into the unfamiliar, get insights into their lives. But the most exciting thing that I've seen to date is some footage that are coming from the audience. And that is something that over the years, Springwatch has got more and more, more people have got, you know, little movie cameras and cameras on their phones. We get footage now of things that I never thought I would see in my life ever. And a very low ranking female rabbit is not permitted to actually give birth within the main warren. The dominant female will not let her. So what she has to do is she has to go right to the edge and dig a hole, a stop, way away from the main warren, have her babies there, she gives birth, she backfills it, so it's completely enclosed, you'd never know it was there, she goes away and she visits it once a day. And a member of the public has incredibly filmed this. And you see the mother come and you think, what is she doing? She digs a hole, dig, dig, dig. And suddenly three little tiny rabbits pop up, suckle for just moments. Then she fills in the hole again and she runs off. I never thought I would see that in my life. So this is one of the first time times this behaviour has ever been caught on camera. If, if I honestly first. believe it is. Yeah, it's so rare. And one other thing that, that we've got, we're trying to get live cameras in a bat roost. Oh, okay. Now, in a maternity roost, and I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but how does a bat upside down give birth? Because it's <laughs> got to give birth. Defies gravity. It would be very difficult. And a lot of bats, a um, lot of species do reverse themselves, and they hang on by their thumbs, and they give birth, and they catch the baby in a membrane between their bat, bat legs. <laughs> but what a start in life. <laughs> <laughs> just dropped it. But horseshoe bats have not got this membrane. So they actually do give birth upside down, and they catch the baby in their wings as it's born. Extraordinary! Well, I want to see that. Oh, that's going to be that's, well. It sounds utterly fascinating. And um, to it, you're not just going to be as in us here. Then you're going to have sort of satellite broadcasts or other presenters dotted around the country. Uh, we are other films that have been made. We are, and um, in the magazine this month, you've got a thing about Britain's uh, favourite islands. I think, uh, yes, and you've got a whole right, yes, ask sky. about sky. And um, my personal favourite is Mal. And I'm very jealous because Yolo, who's one of our sort of roving experts, Yolo um, Williams, yeah, Yolo Williams, he's actually there right now on Mull, which I don't know if you've been there. It, no, I haven't been to Mull, oh, but I hear it's a wildlife paradise. It's absolutely. I went there to film uh, with Chris um, last year, and I, I had to go straight back. And a week after we were filming there, I went back on my own, and he's filming um, basking sharks up there right now. So yeah, we've got Yolo, and as I say, we've got Liz Bonin, who's doing the more controversial things. Roy Dennis, one of my... Oh, the great Osprey the man. great yeah. Osprey man. He is doing kind of a jubilee thing, and he's going back to Fair Isle, and he's been filming there to see... Was he the warden of Fair Isle once upon a time? I think so. he might yeah, be. Yeah, I think he's, he... Yeah. yeah. It's a lonely island in the middle of nowhere where you were joined by hordes of birdwatchers occasionally. That's when exactly some rarity right. turns up. I met two birdwatchers who'd actually bought a car and left it on Fair Isle with the lady who ran their B&B so that she could... So they would have it for the one week of the year they... went <laughs> 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 some obscure warbler plays in from exactly something. yeah but anyway but roy's been up there seeing how the seabird populations have changed over all the years that he's he's known fair isle oh that'd be interesting because there was a big decline recently but i don't know whether that's sort of leveled out be i don't know it'd be fascinating to see but he's one of my absolute and didn't he look just like clint eastwood in his <laughs> yes, yes he yeah, really yeah. did yeah whether a weather slightly weather beaten clint eastwood. he's been clint outside eastwood. a lot <laughs> yes that's the team on the road the, who's in the studio with you well, is it, is it 
Chris, obviously. Chris, like obviously. Good. And Chris and I have been out together doing a series of films. Uh, we did The Boys Weekend last time. And this time we've been doing what we did as kids. We've been going out, and Chris has taken me to a badger set that he's been watching and making notes about. This could be dangerous, actually, what we did as kids. <laughs> yes, yeah, uh, we have to tread a bit carefully. But we did um, badger sets, and we went down fossil hunting in Lyme Regis, and we went out um, looking for grass snakes and adders in my local patch as well. So, yes, Chris and I, and sadly, well, I don't know how to say this, because I adore Kate, Humble. Kate is not with us this year. Uh, she, did, she wasn't with you last year. She wasn't. She was with us last year in Spring Watch, but she wasn't with us for Autumn Watch. Um, and she's going off to do a thing called Volcano Watch Live, which sounds like an extraordinarily bad idea to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully <laughs> through a telescope. No, she's going to be there because I said to her, look, Kate, if you get, um, if the volcano doesn't go off, you're going to have to fill for four days. If it does go off, you're all going to die. <laughs> Have to run for four days. You have to yeah. run for it. So, but she's not going to be with us. So um, we've got Michaela, um, and Michaela is did a brilliant job on Autumn Watch as ever. Nobody likes change, and she she stepped into Autumn Watch, um, and the, our audience all had a go at her right away. Thanks, audience. Um, but she took it on the chin. She's such a professional, and by the end of it, I think people were thinking, actually, we really love you. Oh, good, because she used to be a country fire presenter and really wild show before that. So all those sort of uh, and, and she and Chris go back about a million years when they both had punk haircuts and so on. So um, that's so I feel a bit of an intruder into that sort of, <laughs> into that <laughs> relationship. Yeah, but, but I just sit there as they reminisce about the good old days. Oh, I'm sure it would be an absolutely hilarious time because it does look like you have a lot of fun. But it's all starting, as we're, we're recording this, the day before Martin goes up to us here to start recording. He's slightly nervous, I suspect. Are you, Martin? I am nervous because I go through a phase. I, do you know, I think I'd be worried if I didn't. I go through this phase of thinking, oh, can I do it? Am I going to make a terrible mess of it? I'm going to forget everything. And um, But then once you get going, you get swept along in this sort of tidal wave. And, uh, and Spring Watch in that respect is easier than Autumn Watch for me because, you know, it's, it's four days on the trot and, and you, it is like a tidal wave. You just get swept along with it. Whereas Autumn Watch, you know, sort of build yourself up. When it's spread over eight weeks, you build yourself up one day and then you crash down. And so... It'll, once we get there, it'll be fine. And Chris looks out for me, and I look out for Michaela. And we all look—we're all each other's wingmen, and we look out for each other. Because um, is it true you used to be a producer? You used to be behind the camera. I did. Yes. So what's how's that? How's for that changed? Thirty years. Thirty years. Oh, yeah. Man and boy. <laughs> yeah, I was. Um, and how how did you make a make the move from behind the camera to in front of the camera? But also, um, are I, you enjoying it? I made the move. I'm not going to go into details, but I resigned from the BBC in a fit of pique. <laughs> um, and then repented at like, my leisure, thinking, right, how am I going to earn a living now? Um, but yes, I did. Bill Oddie left um, Springwatch and Tim um, Schoons, who is the exec, um, was looking around for somebody to potentially take Bill's place. And I knew Kate very well, having produced her, actually. We did a caving programme together. And he said, why don't you have a go? Come and sit on the sofa. So I thought, all right. So I did. And I wasn't bad, but Tim said, you're not nearly as good as Chris Packer. (laughs) (laughs) But he said, but you're not too bad, so I think we'll have you both and give you a try. And the rest, folks, is history. But and, it is and fun. And you're enjoying life in front of the camera. Yeah, yeah. It's, it is, it's 
a complete change of gear and, and after 30 years of sort of going up through researcher assistant producer producer in the BBC suddenly I've come into this this other place which is challenging in a completely different way and you know one thing that's really lovely to do a program like Spring Watch is great because when people occasionally see you in the supermarket and so on they generally like you not because of who you are because they like the programme and and that happens a lot people say I really love that programme and so that's a reflection on the 90 or so people that make the programme because it's a huge team it's a huge team so Chris Michaela and I are just at the sharp end which is quite a scary responsibility well, I mean, you've been at the BBC's Natural History Unit for some time, as you as you said. I, I dare not repeat. Don't go in I don't detail, repeat. I guess, if you um, mind. <laughs> but just just to finish up, do we we get a lot of letters about you know, how how can I possibly get into this wonderful world? And I know it's extremely tough to get to break into wildlife filmmaking. But is there, do you have any advice for people if they wanted to get into perhaps work on Springwatch one day? Well, you can. I mean, I got in. It was complete chance. I, I got in um, because, very careful what I say here. <laughs> I was going out with Mandy Redman, who now works on New Tricks. You know, she's oh, right, a very, very well-known yes. actress now. I wasn't supposed to be going out. <laughs> but Mandy... You hear it all here Mandy, on the Country Fire podcast. She said, look, I'm, why don't you think about joining the BBC? Because I had a degree in zoology, um, I, and it was that awful thing, I didn't know what to do. And she said, I'm doing some work for them, I'll introduce you to a producer. So she did, and by that complete chance, I got offered a week's work. And so I think it's still the case with the BBC. If you, if you can just get a foot in the door, a, a week's work two weeks work take that opportunity whatever it is and a really good way on Springwatch we have runners and story developers um, and that's a great place to start particularly on a, a fast turnaround program like, like Springwatch because you might come in as a runner or a story developer but next thing you know you're going out helping doing a bit of filming and suddenly you're in the thick of it so I would definitely look not for the sort of planet Earth and things like that, where that's going to take three years to make, but getting on a magazine programme, Antiques Roadshow or something like that, and that's a really good place to start. Because you don't necessarily have to start in the Natural History Unit to end up in the Natural History Unit. No, and if you've done some work in the Antiques Roadshow, of course, on your CV, that's very appealing. It shows that you know a bit about magazine telly and so on. So, Get in contact with the producers. Yeah, just yeah. Off, off. I'm a runner. I'm really, I've got a degree in zoology, if it's natural history. Um, got, any, got any work? I, I know for a fact two people. My kids have got friends, and they said, exactly the same question that you've just asked me and they've got workers runners and um so a bit of persistence right. and a bit of initiative and, yeah and, and, and don't ever accept a no when i tried to get into horizon i got a terribly snooty letter from the bbc saying oh no we only employ researchers with phds and the last job that was advertised had over 1800 applicants and i thought that made me really grumpy i said well can i come up and talk about it anyway went up talked to the editor and he said um well actually somebody we're going to employ next week's got tonsillitis when could you start and i said i could start tomorrow and he said all right start on monday fantastic fantastic so, so a bit of luck a bit of a, a bit of perseverance yeah. and a bit of initiative fantastic great advice great advice i might follow it myself um and that's martin from Springwatch, which begins on the 28th 
Is that right? 28th of May, yeah, and then uh, for three weeks. And we've got um, the main programmes, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And on the first two Thursdays, we've got my particular favourite, which is Unsprung, where everything goes completely... That's when you all look like you've had a... (laughs) Swift one in the bar after the live, the immediate live show, it and does. everyone relaxes. Everyone and relaxes, yeah. And we've got um, my favourite Raven, um, Bran, is coming in to show us some of his skills again. And he, I love Bran. He comes in and takes over the whole studio. We're going to have him in for the entire show. So goodness knows what's going to happen. Fantastic. Well, that does, look, and it's on at eight o'clock every evening, BBC Two. Fantastic. Well, we'll all be watching, and uh, we'll be looking forward to another ex- exciting year of. Um, Strange and Wonderful Wildlife. Hope so. Brilliant. Now, let's discuss some of the countryside news stories that have caught our eyes this week. Heather, why don't you start us off? Okay. Um, We've got a lovely story about Hindhead Common uh, near the Devil's Punch Bowl in Surrey, um, which was until recently cut in half by the A3 road that ran and through it um, and a major tunnel project has taken the traffic underground in one of the longest stretches of tunnel in the UK and um, this spring local school children have been reseeding the road with heather seeds uh, reuniting the two sides of the road and bringing the common back to its natural wild state. What a rare good news story. Yeah. Nice to see sort of nature reclaiming yeah. a bit of concrete there. Definitely. Dave, I hear you've got something sinister. Yes. From Morrisha. Um, well, I'd like to start by saying I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm pretty sure a man did actually land on the moon. And um, I don't believe in Nessie or Bigfoot, but I do think there might be big cats out there. And it looks like someone may have found a badly decomposed carcass of a big cat in Morayshire. Um, a man, John Robertson, was out walking his dog and he stumbled across this carcass. Um And he thinks it might be a small big cat and they're going off to do DNA testing on it now. But a lot of people think it may be an otter, so that might might, uh, um, put it more in the Nessie department. But um, These these stories keep cropping up. Um, Have you ever come across something like this, Martin? Ever seen one or heard stories on Spring Watch? Do you know, the first programme I ever made for the BBC as a producer was about big cats in the UK. Um, the Surrey Puma and the Beastie Bobman and all those sort of things. Um, yes, it's a perennial, isn't it? And it comes up again and again. Um, I th- <laughs> This is going to sound ridiculous, but I was cycling across Bobman honestly last week. And then in a field of sheep, I saw something <laughs> run across the field and I thought, oh, that's a fox. I thought, is it a fox? Anyway, the sheep completely ignored it. So um, I may be in the same school thinking about maybe there are big cats out there. But I will say that uh, once on, on Unsprung, Spring Watch on Unsprung, we had a telephone call with a lady, a live telephone call, and she thought she'd seen a big cat. And I was very sceptical. Um, and she, But when she started talking, she'd been out with her husband. She had a long, long look. They both looked at this animal through their binoculars and it was very hard not to... And she was incredibly sensible. Um, I'm absolutely sure she had seen a big cat. She wasn't on her own. They both saw it. It wasn't a glimpse. It was a long look. So I th- I'm with Dave here. I'm thinking they might well be out there. The, th- the thing is, is, it's not... I mean, if you think of Nessie or you think of Bigfoot, then you've got to think of something which doesn't actually exist. So big cats do exist. We know they exist. You can go and see them in the zoo. So... 
it's not as if that they couldn't the people exist used in, to keep them as pets yeah it's not as if they couldn't exist in the british countryside it's not like we're talking about a dragon or something well they might be out there the truth is we'll, out there. yeah we'll keep we'll keep <laughs> reporting on it and see what comes up um i think i've seen a big cat once but i don't you know i, I had been to the pub so i don't think it's enormously relevant <laughs> yeah. at this stage it's not going to stand up in court no no <laughs> no i think it might have been a deer hound actually that I, I sort of that they, they run like cats uh, i'm going to talk briefly about um this weird weather we're having because um, we've reported in the magazine on drought, 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 drought. Uh, and the moment it goes to press, it starts raining. And it's rained for, a, well, it's just stopped, stopped raining. But after six weeks of just torrential rains, so we've had the driest winter and the wettest spring on record, certainly the wettest April. Um, I don't know whether we can change the weather by just reporting on it in the magazine. But Martin, has it been affecting the wildlife? Have you, have you sort of seen a any any strange any strange behaviour or changes in nesting nesting times? Very definitely. Uh, I'm sure we all did in our gardens. You know, it was it was March, wasn't it, where it was blisteringly hot, yeah, bizarre, and there were bees out everywhere, butterflies out, and I was thinking. I was so worried about the swallows and the swifts. I was thinking, don't come, don't come, because I had a horrible feeling it was going to change, and by golly, it did. Um, it's delayed um, nesting for us uh, um, at f- for Springwatch, which is great for us um, because often Springwatch, because of the scheduling, it's more like summer watch. So we're always thinking, oh, we're going to miss everything. The Lord Mayor show's gone. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But it has had a profound. We, we're running three diaries this this year on Springwatch: a Kingfisher diary, an Otter diary, and a Peregrine diary. And all three of them have been profoundly affected by the rain. Um, I won't tell you exactly what's happened, but there have been some... All of those stories have had disasters in them, but actually it's come good in the end. But they've been the Kingfisher nest, you can imagine. The river rose, the river rose. Mm. <clears throat> it's, it's near the river. <laughs> it's very near the river, yeah. So... It, 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 has, it will have had a profound effect on, on both what we see live on the programmes and some of the pre-recorded um, wildlife that, that we're going to include, yes. Yes, and more reason to tune in, find out what happens to all Find those out what birds. happens, yeah. Martin, anything caught your eye at all in the, in, the, in the news lately about the countryside, wildlife? Well, it's the cuckoos again. I, I don't know. Did you follow it in the magazine? We have followed the, the sort of the great decline of of the cookie. Okay, but did you follow the tagging that the BTO did? No, no, we didn't. That was an incredible. You know, for a hundred years we've been ringing cuckoos, and there's only been one return from Africa in the 1930s for of a hundred years' work. So nobody really knew where they went or anything. And the BTO last year ringed six cuckoos. One of them died immediately, but you were able to track almost in real time with the satellite tags they were carrying on their backs like little tiny rucksacks the cuckoo's journey across the whole of europe mediterranean across the sahara all the way down into into africa where they overwintered and then follow their progress down there and then follow their return journey which incidentally they did not follow the same route back um the one that was named after me martin died sadly in fact two of them have died on the way back but incredibly two of them are now back in norfolk having done sixteen thousand kilometer journey which I just think absolutely astonishing. Know. Yeah, mm. and so we've learnt more in that one year than they've learnt in the previous hundred years about cuckoos. And crucially, it's looking like the return journey is where things are going wrong for the cuckoos because obviously their numbers have declined drastically. So that's where they're going to try and 
target their research to try and find out why are things going wrong on the return journey? Well, Can we do anything about we it? thought that it was just a habitat problem in this country. Yeah. Possibly in Africa as well. But um, It's looking like it's on that return journey. I'm curious. Fascinating. Gosh. Well, for more rural news stories, we update our website, www.countryfile.com, every day with um, the latest from, the, from our beautiful countryside. And talking of what's in the news, we've all just put the June issue of Countryfile magazine to bed, uh, to a great relief and cheers all round, and it goes on sale on the 1st of June. It's a glorious celebration of summer, um, and particularly we, we were making it as, as we had all that rain, so we were sort of dreaming of glorious days by the river. Um, and we've got plenty of ideas for places to go on holiday, day trips and walks. But I'd just like to ask the team around the table here what their favourite piece was this, this month as we were putting it together. Dave, how about you? Um, yeah, my favourite piece was uh, about a place I know quite well. Um, it's Ave- the Avebury Complex in Wiltshire. And um, the writer Martin Simington basically went for a walk around there and talked about the mystery and the magic of uh, stone circles. So really, sort of as, as midsummer approaches, these places become sort of ever more powerful yeah. and ever more important uh, to, to certain people anyway certainly yeah no, nothing was sacrificed as he went round. <laughs> I, can, I can assure you that but yeah. he uh, it, yeah he explored um silbury hill and west west kennet long barrow as well and talked about stonehenge and the summer solstice and so on a really interesting piece yeah it's a really sort of um atmospheric place to just i mean midsummer midwinter i i love walking around that area because it just feels so you feel like it's emptier now than it has been for tens of thousands of years yeah and uh, have you been up there martin i have yes they are really magical places yeah no i'm going to take a a subscription to your magazine now (laughs) because i wasn't a regular reader but because i wrote that piece last month i thought this is fascinating so um i'm going to see you afterwards please oh excellent excellent well we'll broadcast that to all our readers um heather how about you favorite favorite piece i think um the Great Days Out section this month is going to be very exciting. Um, we've concentrated. This is the section you look after, Heather. Isn't it, it is. Yeah. Yes. How funny you should choose that. Well, you know, <laughs> <laughs> bit of a self promotion there. No, it's um, it's all about um, concentrating on the jubilee uh, theme and uh, royal days out. So um, oh, brilliant. Yes, yeah, so this is kind of nosing your way into royal estates that I mm. always thought were well off limits, like Balmoral, Sandringham. You can actually get in there and have have a safari around Balmoral in a Land Rover. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, wow. and Sandringham, you can just have a walk around the garden. You might even see one or two minor minor royals. Mm-hmm. I'm going to um, just quickly mention a piece about a piece by Chris Yates, who's a, a well famous angler and a great great writer about the countryside. And he's written about well for the last fifty years. He's been getting up and not when we would normally go for walks he gets up at dusk and heads off into the night not just to go fishing but just to explore and he lives down in the in the dorset downs so he he's extolling the wonders of of the, the glass great wilderness in britain really the countryside between dusk and dawn and he has these incredible encounters with badgers hares owls all sorts of things and it's just an inspiring piece and made me right sort of change the way i look at the countryside do you go night walking much, Martin? I, I don't, no. Very very early in the morning is a great time to get up, um, particularly now for birdsong birds, and so on. Yeah. Um, but I I don't... No, I don't go out particularly in the night. Perhaps I should... I should well, read this, read this feature. I should read the feature and get inspired. You won't be able to sleep yeah. for, for, for the desire. Of, yeah. 
I've got to say one other place. You're talking about Avebury and magical places. Have anyone been to Wayland Smithy? Uh, recently, I did a bit. I walked a bit of the Ridgeway. Did yeah, you? that's a spooky place. Now, that is one of the most. Didn't you find it? Yeah, it was broad hairs daylight, on the back of neck. It's um, the most curious spot, one of the most magical places I've ever been to. I was debating whether I should say that because all your readers will rush out there and it'll be full of. Well, it's a whole, it's a hard old hike to get. It there. is actually, yeah. yeah. So it's, but if you can get there, that's truly a magical place. It's a tomb, isn't it, with great stones at the front of it, but then yes. it's surrounded by this eerie little glade of beech trees. It um, is, and, and apparently, if you take your horse up there and you leave sixpence or something overnight, it'll be reshod by the fairies in the morning. Oh, yeah, yes, yeah. Would your horse be useful to get there, wouldn't it? Yes, <laughs> I needed one walk. by the time I got there. <laughs> so that's the um, that's the June issue on sale, first of June. Um, hope you enjoy it. So unfortunately, that's all we have time for. But we'd like to say a huge thank you to Martin for joining us just before he goes off to the great month of live television. Deep breath, and uh, a huge goodbye from the team. Thanks for listening. Goodbye now.